Welcome to Hill Country Institute Live, the program that brings you together with Christian ministry leaders, authors, people who work in interesting and unusual jobs, pastors, and many others who deal with faith and culture issues. I'm Larry Lynch, Matt, your host, and I thank you for joining with us today as we seek to encourage and equip followers of Jesus Christ to show his heart and mind in all that we do. Today we have a former U.S. Congressman, Bob Inglis, who represented a conservative district in South Carolina. Today he leads an organization that is involved in environmental stewardship, creation care, and finding ways for conservatives with free market principles to help change the way that we produce energy. Bob is a longtime follower of Jesus, and we'll be talking about how his relationship with Jesus Christ impacts his work, including his time in Congress. So please stay with us. I think you'll find it to be a very interesting program. We invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, to hear podcasts of our past radio programs on topics including faith and science, work, art, many other things, fighting human trafficking, spiritual formation of C.S. Lewis, and more. The website offers video and audio from our past conferences and seminars on many topics of faith. You can also hear the podcast, Hill Country Institute Live, through your podcast app. The program is supported by donations. You can donate at our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, or by calling 512-680-7993. That's 512-680-7993. Now let's welcome our special guest, Bob Inglis. Bob Inglis, thank you for being with us today on Hill Country Institute Live. Great to be with you, Larry. Thank you. Yes, well, great. Well, Bob, you've been a you've been a guest on our program before. Uh, we invite our, our audience to listen to that podcast. It's available at Hill Country Institute Live on your podcast app or, or website at hillcountryinstitute.org. But in in that uh, interview and in our time together, we learned about your 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 life. You became a lawyer. You decided to run for Congress, uh, and we're we're very interested in vocation and how people are uh, living out their faith and and. The place that God has placed them. So, as a as a follower of Jesus, how did your faith impact your decision to run for office? Wow, well, it's uh, you know I, um, I I I have sort of a, a leading verse or the verse that uh, that goes uh, with that ministry of being in Congress, and it's in in Second Corinthians five. It's uh, where Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And, um, you know, he says, it's, so we are ambassadors for Christ uh, uh, with his message, be reconciled to God. And mm-hmm. so um, that's my view of what uh, my role should be in politics when I was in Congress. And now that I'm doing what I'm doing about climate action on the conservative side of things uh, is um, uh, being an ambassador for uh, reconciliation. Um, that means reconciliation surely to God, which is what uh, Paul is talking about in Second Corinthians five. But it's it's also being reconciled to the truth. You know, that just that uh, mm-hmm. the, the truth of reality is around us. You know, and uh, when it comes to climate, especially. Oh yeah, well, and and, and going to Congress, I, I can't think of a place. Uh, well, I guess Congress is really represent representation. Where they're, they're elected representatives, but it represents the dysfunction in many ways in our society. And so what an opportunity there to, to be an ambassador for Christ and be a peacemaker. Yeah, you know, I, I had I had two different stints in Congress, uh, Larry. I was there six years, really um, thinking that I was pure as a driven snow, 
and that everybody else in the political process was swine. Um, honestly, that's how sanctimonious I was in my first six years in Congress. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had uh, what we call in my family the, the teeth-banging incident, where I uh, had a dehydration experience and collapsed uh, in the bathroom at 3 o'clock in the morning and uh, banged my teeth on the Formica counter on the, da- on the way down to the floor. Ouch. And uh, I won't go into the details because you'll be uh, feeling a little bit uh, lightheaded after you hear the details. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, in the recovery from that, uh, God got to me, you know, because he's like, uh, I'd, I'd run for the Senate. Uh, that's what ended my six years in, in the House, the U.S. House, was I ran for the U.S. Senate unsuccessfully. And um, against Senator Fritz Hollings uh, uh, and the late Senator Fritz Sollings. Um, And so uh, I, uh, the whole idea of our campaign was that wouldn't you like this nice young boy scout, that would be me back then, to go up and replace this arrogant old goat that's in the U.S. Senate. And um, really that's the sort of the sanctimonious uh, nature of that uh, whole campaign. And uh, we we were supposed to win, said our pollster, and uh, came election day and we didn't. And I was devastated and started putting God on trial. I filed a lawsuit the day after that uh, election, Inglis versus God. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, plaintiff's exhibit number one was the front page article in the Spartanburg Herald Journal, a newspaper in the state, um, lead sentence. Ask Senator Hollings what he has done for South Carolina, and he will say, colon, quote, oh, God everything. You name it, I've done it. So I laid that before God, and I said, your word says that you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. What happened? Your fault. And that's the way it was for three years, until the teeth banging. And then the teeth banging came, and God got through to me, and he's basically, you know, no audible voices, the cannon's closed, but uh, just this clear thought, um, you know, as I'm recovering from the teeth banging, he says, you know, um, from up here, the difference between you and Hollings um, is, you know, hold up two fingers very close to each other, not that that close. <laughs> uh, uh, but the distance between where you and Hollings are standing shoulder to shoulder and my righteous standard is eternity, which is bridged by grace at the cross, now, do you want to talk to me about uh, uh, that, that grace, or do you want to talk to me about relative justice between the two of you? And uh, my answer was, yeah, let's talk about grace. <laughs> well, good. It's going to change your view of everything, including politics. And so I had the opportunity to go back to Congress for six years. Very different aspect, understanding that I was no better than anybody else in the political process, as flawed as all of them were and are, uh, but that uh, saved by grace means that we can extend grace to other people. So it's a rather different Inglis 2.0, we called it, as opposed to Inglis 1.0. Yeah. Well, 2, 2.0, God had really dealt dealt with you in a, in a meaningful and, and deep way into your heart, hadn't he? Yeah, it just, it really uh, changes your view of things. You know, if you 
if you think as I did for that first six years, that I was really literally pure as a driven snow and everybody else was swine, it, it affects everything that you do in politics because you think that you're, you're like the savior with skin on him, you know? And, um, uh, and that's just a false notion of who we are. We are saved by grace. And uh, this not by works and not by anything I've done. And so that makes me more able to, in 2.0, to open up to sharing that grace with other people and saying, you can get the same grace that I got. It's, it's freely available at the cross. Um, and it's not, it's not that I was so clever as to find it out. He found out me, came to me, and offered me this grace. And that's, that's a more singable tune than, gee, don't you think I'm pretty swell? Um, that's a... <laughs> Oh, see, so, uh, C.S. Lewis had a line that it, it, it's a bit like the mouse chasing the cat uh, when God's giving us grace, and he mm-hmm. does that work in us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is so true. So it's, uh, and of course, along the way, that was also part of my metamorphosis on uh, rejection of climate science. You know, in 1.0, I was just going along with what seemed political, and, and in 2.0, I was uh, trying to be more guided by... Uh, you know, a objective look at the thing, and uh, and also some very uh, special relationships in my life that uh, that mattered to me. My son uh, experience with scientists in Antarctica, and then a uh, very special experience with a, uh, a believer who's a, a climate scientist in Australia. Yeah, and those and those are you know Antarctica and Australia because it it was the Great Barrier Reef, wasn't it? Where you went out with this uh, fellow who's a scientist? Yeah, we were snorkeling, and sh- he's showing us uh, the, the glories of the reef, you know, and uh, and the risk of uh, coral bleaching, um, uh, which uh, tragically may uh, take all the uh, corals from the earth by 2050, or at least 90% of them. 90% may be a low estimate, actually. but um, So it's... Uh, but in the process of showing that to me, um, I could see that he and I shared a worldview because I could see that he's worshiping God in what he was showing me. Uh, I, you know, you can just tell uh, if somebody's aware of the Creator. I could see it in his eyes. I could hear it in his voice. It's written all over his face that he was worshiping God mm-hmm. uh, by looking at those corals and saying, you know, here are the fingerprints of God, and in the creation, we can see um, the Creator. Um, that's what Paul says in Romans 1, is what may be known about God is clear from the creation itself. Um, and so uh, so I I could tell we shared a worldview without any words being spoken. You know, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. <laughs> and so Scott, without any words, was preaching the gospel. I knew that he was a believer, and I knew we shared a worldview. Later, we had a chance to talk, and he's become a very dear friend now. Um, and uh, he told me about conservation changes he was making in his life in order to love God and love people. Um, he rides his bike to work. He does without air conditioning. As long as his wife and three daughters will let him get away with it in Townsville, Australia, it's a pretty hot place. Um, and hangs the family's clothes out on the line uh, to, 
save energy into consciously uh, thinking of people coming after us. So I, I got right inspired. I want to be like Scott, loving God and loving people. And that's what uh, led me to come home and take some action on climate change. It got me in some political hot water. Sure. Well, and your 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 son really started you on that journey, and that and that journey led you out of Congress and into your your current endeavor with RepublicanEN.org. And uh, what te- since since we've kind of led into what's going on with the environment with climate, uh, what what is RepublicanEN.org, and uh, what is your role there, and what are your your mission and goals? Well, you know it is. It is a switch from Congress because, uh, you know, I loved being in Congress. People ask me, you know, do you miss it? And they expect me maybe to say, no, it's terrible, uh, because that's what a lot of people do when they lose. You know, they sort of minimize it. But I, I can't do that because I, I love being in Congress. What I loved about it was it was full of mission and purpose, you know, and every day was um, was that. Um, but uh, as you said, my son started this metamorphosis that continued with that trip to Antarctica and then was completed with that uh, encounter with Scott Heron, the Australian climate scientist that I was just describing. And so now what I'm doing is something that's big enough to be about, you know, and that's full of mission and purpose. And so I, I'm thankful for how God provided this, uh, this off-ramp from Congress to go on a different street that um, is likewise full of mission and purpose. You know, I, I tell um, I have five kids that, um, you know, you can, you can minister at the macro level or the micro level. Uh, what you should be looking for is mission and purpose. It, it could be macro, you know, working in government or on climate policy. That's, that's pretty big and affects, you know, the macro level, or you can be at the micro level teaching a kid to read, um, and both are uh, full of mission and purpose. Um, it's just at a different level, and um, but equally valuable and equally meaningful. Uh, just make sure to choose something that's um, big enough to be about, whether it's teaching that kid or whether it's um, you know trying to address climate change. And so, yeah, addressing climate change is what I'm doing now at RepublicEN.org. It's Six of us facilitating a community of about 10,000 people online. Uh, we need that to be about 100,000 or maybe a million. Um, so we're growing it. Um, and we're conservatives, um, reaching conservatives with the message that there are free enterprise answers to climate change. So so your your organization is conservative and your goals are free enterprise oriented uh, and to bring a free enterprise approach and solutions uh, to to the problems of climate change and environmental stewardship. Is, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, and, and of course, we, we, we know that it's rock-solid conservatism. The good news is it's also something that's acceptable to many progressives, but um, uh, the rock-solid conservatism I'm talking about is the idea that really it's a spiritual idea, it's a biblical idea that accountability brings blessings. Lack of accountability results in havoc. Climate change is that havoc um, that it's resulting from the lack of accountability. If I'm endless coal-fired electricity, let's say, I burn coal, um, I heat water, I 
turn uh, a generator and I send electrons down the line to my customers' houses. Uh, that's my business. Um, well, in the course of that business, I, I get to socialize my soot at this point. Um, I get to pump my soot up in the air. Now, I scrub some of it out, um, but some of it ends up in the air. Um, all of the CO2 ends up in the air uh, from my burning of my coal to run my business. And that's good for my customers because I'm, I'm serving them, but it's also the cost of my true cost of that business isn't reflected in the price that I'm charging my customers. I'm not accountable. They're not accountable. Havoc results. And the havoc uh, is that, you know, my soot from my stack ends up in my neighbor's lungs. Um, they go to the hospital. Some of them, most of them cough it up and just go along. But some of them end up in the hospital. Um, and when they get there, I'm not held accountable for that hospital admission. It's not part of my cost structure. Mm -hmm. um, I get away with it. It's a great deal for me. I'm footloose and fancy free. Uh, stinks for that person that ends up in the hospital. Stinks for society paying for it. Because if they're a senior, we pay through Medicare. If they're a poor person, we pay through Medicaid. If they're on Blue Cross Blue Shield, like maybe your family is, you know, you pay through higher premiums. Those are my costs that I'm putting on you. Um, I'm not accountable for them. It's a great deal for me, uh, but it's not biblical accountability. So you make me accountable. And accountable also for the CO2, the climate damages I'm causing by those emissions. And then I, I got to do some things. I got to, I got to scrub my stack a little bit better. I install some more equipment. I've got to figure out a way to sequester the CO2. And um, that's going to cost money. Um, but if I put it in my cost structure and then charge my customers the actual cost of that electricity that I'm producing, at that point, you don't need any subsidies for wind and solar and uh, maybe even nuclear becomes competitive at that point. Now, that's bad for me at English coal-fired electricity because my business was burning coal and doing all that. But if I'm brought to accountability, I'll probably switch my source of energy because I'm in the business of making electricity. I got capital and I got customers. I can put up some wind turbines. I can get some better batteries going. I can do some solar. I can maybe go in with some people and do a nuclear power plant and have no emissions. And uh, so that's the whole idea is just to bring that kind of biblical accountability and then uh, watch, the, watch innovation take over. And it won't be the government telling me what to do except to be accountable. Um, and then I, oh, at English Coal Fired Electricity, start making some decisions. And I move away from the stinky coal and uh, I move into other things. Yeah, full, full, in, uh, in business school, one of the concepts was full costing. What's everything that goes into the cost of a product and be sure that's reflected in your price. And if I understand what you're saying correctly, you're, you're saying that all of the costs are not absorbed by the producer of the coal-fired energy uh, because we have respiratory disease, we have pollution, 
We have the impact of CO2 uh, or an increase in greenhouse gases in the in the atmosphere and the impact that that has in multiple ways. Uh, and the, the uh, carbon that gets in the ocean and the impact that that has on coral reefs. So all, all that long list of things goes back to your coal-fired plant and you're, you're in effect being subsidized because those costs aren't being paid by the producer. Is that, is that exactly. correct? Yeah. Exactly. That's it. And, and we think that this is rock-solid conservatism, as I was saying, because it's just simple accountability. Um, and and it, it doesn't rely on the government to regulate my emissions down. It just tells, it sends a signal saying, okay, here's, you, you put all the cost in English, and now see how your customers like your electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you get all your cost in, and you reflect them at the power meter, your customers are going to be choosing, especially in Texas, which has the ability to choose. Uh, and not everywhere, some cities don't, but most of Texas has the ability to choose. They're going to choose away from me, and they're going to choose the low-cost provider, which at this point is probably going to be wind with batteries or solar with batteries, or perhaps if we can get small modular nukes going, uh, maybe uh, uh, nuclear uh, in the future, um, mm-hmm. the big nuclear plants are sort of hard to justify the economics right now. But the ones that, that I happen to hope for, the small ones, so like we, what we use in uh, Navy Navy submarines um, that uh, can produce an awful lot of power. Um, but um, so it's it, it really is a pretty exciting concept um, if you're a conservative, because this is what Milton Friedman one of Ronald Reagan's economics advisors would tell us to do, we think, if he were still alive today. Um, uh, because he would say that what you do is you don't try to regulate pollution. He actually said one time on the Phil Donahue show uh, that you tax pollution. You, you don't regulate it, you tax it. You, you put the cost in on it. Just what you were just describing, full cost accounting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Uh that's a, in effect a subsidy if you're not doing full costing, then that, that enterprise is allowed to uh, continue and, and the product, whatever, whatever it is that's not fully accounted for, uh, is, is not economically uh, as viable as it would appear, I guess is, is a way to, to put it. Your, your low-cost coal producer, in, in fact, is a high-cost producer. Today in the market in Texas – uh, you know, we're the largest wind producer in of any state in the country, and we're seeing uh, many new contracts executed for, for wind and and then for natural gas on short-term, but particularly long wind, long-term contracts on wind and solar because they're low cost, the, the lower cost compared to coal, even without full costing for coal. So the market can act and react in a way that takes into account the things that you're you're talking about, can it? Yeah, and it's it's the most powerful force really that we've got available to us to solve the problem of climate change. We think is market forces, not not government trying to regulate, because that's a pretty clumsy and slow process. Um, uh, but rather using the power of the marketplace with. And the, the the free enterprise system to deliver innovation much faster than government regulations or mandates uh, or fickle tax incentives. 
could ever imagine. And so that's uh, the dynamism of the free enterprise system is what we're about. And that's what that's why we're so big on working in Texas, because we think Texas is a place that uh, really values free enterprise. And, you know, I, I love when I'm in Houston hearing about the energy capital of the world, because, you know, uh, it is the energy capital of the world. And and it's going to be the innovation, energy innovation capital of the world, we believe. Um, and that's what I've I've been so encouraged about times, uh, especially in Houston, to hear people talking that way, that they they know that uh, what we're blessed as human beings is the ability to create things. And we don't have to rely on just whale oil and coal and, um, you know, uh, and petroleum. There are other things. Um, and, of course, we're fortunate to have had all those fuel sources, and some of them will continue, not so much whale oil anymore. But, but, uh, uh, but uh, when the future comes... Humans have a wonderful way of embracing it and uh, developing it, uh, particularly people left in freedom uh, to make their own choices. And now I'm getting, as you can tell, uh, into my Republican uh, soapbox there, but uh, <laughs> that's my, or my Republican Party soapbox. And it's a, it is the philosophy that I subscribe to, that uh, free people in free enterprise will create more wealth and also care for the poor better and people that in a regulated society where the state's trying to run everything because the state can't do it as effectively as free people making free, free and accountable decisions. But it has to be in this case accountable because if you don't, if you like that concept of biblical accountability, it, it doesn't work. Yes. Well, Bob, let's let's uh, let's hold that thought, because I think accountability and free enterprise and uh, scripture have have a lot of good interaction that we can develop further. So now as we take a break, we invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, to listen to past programs. They're also available on your podcast app. It's Hill Country Institute Live. We ask for your help in supporting the program financially. Uh, Radio stations have this habit of sending me a bill every month to pay for this radio time. So we sure would appreciate your support. Uh, You can visit us at hillcountryinstitute.org to make donations. And let us know if you'd like to sponsor this program on this station or on your own local radio station. Uh, You can reach us at 512-680-7993. That's 512-680-7993. Or donate online at hillcountryinstitute.org. Now, please stay with us, and we'll be back shortly. 